98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? Man, does this smell good. Wolfing down your lunch. Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Luke. Hey, boys. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. All right, welcome back. It is uh, time for Wolfing Down Your Lunch. All of today's top sports stories in one place. Here, as always, is Aaron Maloney. Aaron? So the fallout continues surrounding the Cardinals' Week 5 loss to the Eagles in that final drive from the Cardinals. Here's ESPN's Dan Orlovsky. Second and five, and they call a short little completion to Hollywood Brown. He catches it with 47 seconds left. They clock it just about in field goal range with 37. If it's going to take you 10 seconds to spike the ball, call a daggone play. Then on second and 10, you call quarterback draw. You call quarterback draw knowing, hey, what's the call if we get eight yards? Like, why are we going, oh, I don't know. And then there's 22 seconds on the clock. Listen, if there's 22 seconds on the clock and it's third and one, just call a pass. Play. What did I say? Yeah. You know, just call the pass <laughs> because call, if it's complete, kitty. You, you know what it was called? Get me five. And if it's complete, me five we, right can now. Run, we can run up, clock the ball. Yeah, it's kick irrational. It's it, irrational it's, not to. It's yeah. unprepared. Yeah. It's unprepared. First of all, was that Keyshawn yelling? Yeah, okay. it was key right there. Yeah. So I wanted to hear it a second time, Wolf. And I'm still <laughs> a little. Uh, this is what I will say. From your experience playing in the NFL, is there anything to the idea of, okay, we're going to run the ball here on second down? Should you already have the yeah. next play queued up? Yeah, you know what You know what I think Dan is talking about? He's talking about before. He's talking about before the slide. Yes. Do you okay. already have your third down play in the back of your mind before you run the second down play? Yes, exactly. He's talking about before that. Now it kind of makes sense. But to me, again, it was a situation where they felt confident they were going to be able to make a 43-yard field goal. They felt confident that Kyler Murray, that they still had plenty of time on the clock. It wasn't just about scoring a touchdown. It was about a field goal. So I guess maybe he's critiquing, unless again, I'm I'm missing the point. He can't be talking about Kyler Murray sliding. He can't be talking about that. He's talking about before that. I'm, Hollywood Brown. I'm, I'm anticipating, I'm, I'm interpreting that as, okay, we're going to run the ball here on second down. We clocked it on yes. first down. We're running it on second down. Everybody needs to know what the third down play is before he even runs it on second down. And I'm assuming Dan Orlovsky is saying right there, it needs to be a third down play that if we get the first down, we'll still run the same play either right. way. Okay, but again, why would you be talking about that? The guy clocked the ball. He did. He clocked it. Spiked it. Yeah. Thought that was it. I'm First down, move the chains. Look, he was I, able I, to do that without mentioning Matthew Stafford once. That, to me, is the most impressive. <laughs> so our Sanderson Ford poll question is up now at ArizonaSports.com, and it asks, Whoa. What should Kyler Murray have done on his scramble in the last 30 seconds against the Eagles? So your options, safely slid to take the 43-yard field goal or sacrificed his body for the first down? You know, this is going to be a tough one because obviously 100% of the people are going to vote for sacrificed his body for the first down. This is difficult for me, though, Wolf, because Jarrett Carlin, of all people, made a good point. 
and so that's the one for the yeah. year. I, it's not like Kyler Murray had to decide between, okay, do I get the first down, but I'm out for the year, or I slide. <laughs> like He could have just gotten the first down and not sacrificed his body, too. If my vote is, of these two options, sacrifice the body for the first down. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you got to, to me, if you're looking, and I said this yesterday, if you're looking to blame somebody for what happened, blame Kyler Murray and the fact that he's a human being. Because you should have been able to get the first down. You should have you should have known exactly where you were on the field, and you should have known not to slide, but to actually dive forward. Blame Kyler Murray for being a human being. Because that was the mistake he made. And I said, he's got to know that. And he does. But boy, when I say that, every mistake I ever made on a football field rings in my ears. Because they happen all the time. Not to Mr. Perfect, who likes to critique these kind of things and not moisten a jock in 30 years. So, 79% say sacrificed his body for the first down. 21% say safely slid to take the 43-yard field goal. And just so we can keep Wolf in this mood, according to reports, the NFL plans to discuss roughing the passer penalties amid outrage over two disputed calls in Week 5. Here's ESPN's Max Kellerman. If the rule states you can't under any circumstances the quarterback with full body weight, then the issue is not with the refs, the issue is with the rule. That is an absurd rule, because there will be times where in order to make the play, your body weight's going to be on the quarterback. This is tackle football. Wolf, how do you feel about this one? We need to hit the quarterback. Allow football players to hit the quarterback. Um... No, I'm not saying a headshot should ever happen. No, protect him that way. No, you shouldn't be able to take the crown of your helmet and stick it right into his back and wax his back the way that he did. But you can still hit the quarterback. The quarterback is a football player, technically speaking, correct? Let him hit the quarterback. Chris Jones, after the game, I thought... It's just such an honest response of, like, what am I supposed to do? And the thing is, Wolf, if you're a defensive player, you can't hit a quarterback low. You can't hit him high. You've got a bunch of 350-pound guys blocking you away from him, and that quarterback can move. You can't hit him along the sidelines because he can step one foot out of bounds, and it's it's a late hit. I really don't know the answer to Chris Jones' question. You're not allowed to hit him high, low, on the sidelines, or in the pocket. That's the answer, Chris. Oh, my goodness. And let's hope he doesn't talk trash the way Philip Rivers did. <laughs> All right? <laughs> All right, that was what Wolf and Down Your Lunch. Thank you, Aaron, as always. When we come back, the Cardinals are heading into week six with question marks at the position they were supposed to be the deepest at. So how concerned should they be in this matchup with Seattle? That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Alright, this is where I am with the Arizona Cardinals. I have reached the point where um, you're never deep at any position, Wolf. You got nothing. The Cardinals 
coming into the season had what seven receivers. You figured, okay, you got Hopkins. You added Hollywood Brown. I know Hopkins suspended, but you've you've got all these pieces. They're so deep at receiver. You're not going to bomb me out, are you? They all got hurt. Um, no, I'm not. This is going to bring you up. Oh, here we go. So then you come out of training camp, and it's like, they're not going to keep five running backs, are they? Well, yeah, they kept five <laughs> running backs. They kept five running backs. It's a good thing they did because they ended the game against Philadelphia on Sunday with one running back. Now, they had a second one, Keontae Ingram, but he wasn't he wasn't suited up for the game because you don't dress five so, running backs. So the thus, game. they had one. Yes, and that one was Eno Benjamin. And I love this part of the story. Eno was like... Like, um, wait, he didn't even realize he was the only running back. He's looking around like, hey, where, where's 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 James? Where's where's Daryl? Where's what? where is everybody? Just the way the game was flowing. I didn't really realize things until I started asking, like, where are certain people at when I didn't see them anymore? Um, and then that's when they were kind of telling me that uh, things were going down and I was the one and I had to keep pushing. <laughs> Can't you just see him going up to like his offensive lineman? And he told us during uh, training camp, you know, did he always makes friends with the offensive line? That's smart for a running yeah. back. Can't you just see him looking around being like, Hey, um, where is everybody else? Um, where's James? Has anyone seen James and Daryl Williams, by the way? Where's Daryl Williams? Um, hey, Jonathan, have you seen Daryl or J- where's Jonathan? <laughs> Where is everybody? Yeah, you know, you know, Benjamin, this is a guy that um, really has developed and gotten so much better. We were talking about it a little earlier in the broadcast, but this is a guy that he's at a point right now where I wouldn't want him to be the starter the rest of the way. But I'm very, very confident in Eno Benjamin starting a game here or a game there. I think he's too small to be a guy that gets a lot of reps. I think he is. But if it's a spot start here or a spot start there, I'm okay with that with Eno. He did. He, he The reps weren't an issue in college, but obviously he wasn't small by college standards. Um I'm with you. I've, I've always thought if they had to go to Eno for a few games, they'd be fine. Even when they first drafted him, that they'd be fine. I don't expect him to be. He's not Derrick Henry. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He's not any of the. But when he plays, I, I mean, he's pretty effective, and he has that willingness to do anything they ask him to do. Wolf, we were talking about this earlier. You see how enthusiastic he is about taking on any job they ask. I and love then that. You wonder how that guy was ever in the doghouse, as they all say he was. <laughs> It had to be mental, man. It had to be something. He was not in his playbook. They thought he wasn't in his playbook. Something. Um, And that just seems so odd because Eno Benjamin, to me, seems like the consummate pro. I think Chase Edmonds had a huge impact on Eno Benjamin. I compared Eno Benjamin to Chase Edmonds. When you use that terminology of he's in the doghouse, typically it's something you're doing or something you've done. That you should not have done. And and you're in the doghouse for it. Now, I don't know what that is. Maybe it was him not understanding um, how critical it was that he had to know the playbook and dive into the playbook. I, I don't know what it was, my brothers. But I will tell you right now that I'm very confident in Eno Benjamin in terms of what a running back needs to be able to do in the National Football League to give you the ability to win a game. Catch now, the ball coming out of the backfield, run the ball, of course, and be able to hold up in blitz pickup. And and he was doing that. That was noticeable um, on, on Sunday. 
laid out a pretty nice block, at least one really nice block that I remember from that game in Blitz Pickup. Now, we don't know how, uh, there's no injury report yet. It's only Tuesday and then he'll play till Sunday. So we don't know about James Conner's status or Daryl Williams' status or Jonathan Ward's status. But I will say this, Gambo just tweeted out about 10 minutes ago that the Cardinals are adding... Um, free agent running back Corey Clement to the practice squad. Wow. The former Eagle, and I think he was on the Cowboys for a year. So I would assume all of the running backs aren't healthy, or they wouldn't be going out adding yet another running back. Right. So we may we may see a lot of Eno on Sunday. We may see some Keontae Ingram as well. Here's Cliff talking about Keontae. Very talented. That's why we, you know we kept five. You don't see that a lot. But he he was really impressive in preseason. Has been impressive on scout team. And now it's just about um, making sure he understands the game plan and executing at a high level if, if he gets called upon. But his his natural gifts are, are pretty special. We think. Man, I'll tell you what, hey, Keontae Ingram. Um, I was so glad they kept him on the roster. Uh, one of the reasons why they kept five running backs was because of Keontae Ingram. The fact they thought maybe Keontae Ingram um, could help them this year. You can't just let that guy go because somebody just, else will take him. Exactly right. You can't just do that. And he really, really was impressive in preseason. So I'm excited. I think Keontae Ingram is going to get a chance to play his first NFL game. I can't wait for that. It, it says something about what they think of him. And if you're a Cardinals fan, you were watching preseason, or if you got Sandy at camp, I, I think you'd probably have the same opinion. He stood out. Keontae Ingram did. But it says something about what they think of him that they knew full well they weren't going to be playing him unless they had to. And they still gave him one of the 53-man roster spots. Yeah. Of like, yeah, this is going to be, for lack of a better term, us just kind of burning a roster spot, which you can't really do in the NFL. But we like this kid so much that we're, we're not letting somebody else take him. And now, Wolf, I mean, if you ever needed an illustration of how quickly things turn in the NFL, I have the tweet from Gambo right there saying they're signing uh, Corey Clement to the practice squad. They just scroll up on one of the TVs and hear Tom Palacero reporting that they're working out multiple running backs today. Would you have ever thought... Five weeks ago, when the Cardinals were keeping five running backs out of camp, <laughs> that they'd be looking for running backs going into week six. I know. You know, and my biggest concern, too, is not James Conner. I think a rib is a rib, and that happens to a running back, as you would imagine, of course, especially James, because James doesn't get his pad level down quite the way that I'd like to see him get his pad level down, the way Daryl Williams will get his pad level down. So I think James Conner. Okay, that that's going to be some time. Um, maybe it's a week, maybe not, because you can shoot that up. I'm just saying, the blue juice is real, and you can shoot that up if it's not busted. Rib injuries. If a rib is suck. not busted. But again, cartilage many times gets torn in between the ribs. I had that myself. I think you did it yeah, as well, I've had it didn't twice. You? And the thing is, look, it's fine as long as you don't get hit or sneeze <laughs> or breathe or stand. Yes. Then you're fine. Well, or, you know what, shoot it up, and you're fine then, too. Until you get hit again. Well, well guess I guess you afterwards, feel yeah, it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, suck it up, Luke. Basically. <laughs> Just get through the game. I've, I've I mean, done do, this. Do your, do your job, Luke. Well, so you're saying we may see James Conner. I'm saying James Conner, I think, yeah, unless he's fractured ribs, I think James Conner has got a chance of playing. Yeah, I, I, I would put that, I feel really good about that, about 75% somewhere in there. It's the knee to Daryl Williams that I feel 
bad about yeah, him. Yeah, and I really liked the way Daryl Williams oh. was running. He wasn't oh. getting to run a lot, but I really liked the way Daryl Williams was was providing a spark to this offense. Just stinks. Um, here's more on Keontae Ingram, this time from Eno himself. He looks good um, out there at practice, um, catching the ball, running the ball. Um, he uh, gives us a good uh, uh, look for our defense and whatnot. I'm getting out there. Um, and shoot, I'm even still learning from Keontae. Um, never could stop learning. I think he's really good at that. Such an Eno answer. Wolf, if, if I just, if I if I read the quote, you didn't get to hear the voice, but I just read the quote of, of somebody saying, yeah, I can still learn. You can never stop learning. And you had to guess who it was. Wouldn't yeah. you say it was Eno Benjamin? Yeah, I yeah. would say that right now, which once again makes the whole doghouse question. <laughs> what was Eno Benjamin doing? That was, he was in the doghouse. You know, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it just, again, wasn't a, he wasn't in his playbook. Maybe that was it. And that would put you in a doghouse yeah. if you didn't know the plays. Or maybe he just wasn't executing plays in practice. And they were just like, we see this, but you're not doing it. Because they obviously kept him. You know, it was a seventh round pick. As much as I like Eno, and I think a lot of people like Eno, it's a seventh round pick. They could have let him go at some point in the last two years, and nobody would have been like, what are you doing not keeping your seventh rounders? You know, I, I talk about humility and how important humility is to a human being, my brothers. And listening to Eno Benjamin right there is a great reminder of that humility. Here's a guy that is really getting his first opportunity to truly go out and, and show what he can do, um, truly go out and be a player. Be a football player that a team can count on. Here's his first opportunity. And what does he do? He points out he's still learning from Keontae Ingram. From the guy behind him. Who's a rookie behind him. Uh, Humility is a wonderful master. Cliff Kingsbury, when he was on with us yesterday, talked about how Eno has improved. Yeah, he's he's, um, continued to to just impress and and improve. And can't say enough good things about what he did yesterday. He's cramping up the whole second half. Everybody else is hurt, so he knows he has to go. So he's out there barely able to walk and and finds a way to get in the end zone and make some big plays. And and, uh, just his teammates have have really been proud of how he's grown over the last couple years and and the effort he's, he's shown on Sunday. So that was the other part, Wolf. It's not like Eno was at 100% in that game. He was cramping up, as you heard Cliff just say right there. But when they needed yards, they went to Eno. Eno, drink some water, okay? Hydrate, man. You, Hydrate. You played college football in, in, uh, at ASU. And I think right? he's from Texas, isn't he? Eno, like come on. What are you doing? Hey, look, he, he played through it. He did his job, as you would say, Wolf. Man, I can tell you right now, no, I love the fact that he did. I love the fact he played through that. Cramping up, oh my goodness, that's brutal. Yeah, that's not a great feeling either. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, has the DeAndre and Monty Williams relationship been salvaged? We'll explain next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, I guess everything's good again, Wolf. Just in time with the season starting eight days for the Phoenix Suns. Sounds like D.A. Monty Williams. Nothing there. Nothing there. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think there's something there, but I think they'll be fine. Are you sure about that? No, I'm not. <laughs> we, it's I'm funny. glad you said that. It's funny. I teased that going to break, and we played the promo of Burns and Gambo, and uh, and there's like the 22nd second promo there, and they're talking about this very topic. Yeah. And Gambo's like, yeah, okay, that can flip 
in a, I believe he said New York second, which is even quicker than a New York minute. Yeah. Which is quicker than a normal minute. Right. It's all the metric system. Um, Now, look, if things start to go sideways, and I don't think they really will in the regular season, but yeah, this... (laughs) I don't think anybody looks at this and is like, oh, everything's fine. But what I do think, and I said this earlier, I personally think it will be fine. I think this is Monty Williams' way of saying, all right, you're not a kid anymore. You're not a rookie anymore. You're not the, hey, you know, you're kind of the fun big man that we all like to have on the team. But we got to treat him a little bit different so we have him ready for every game. You just got paid $133 million. You get treated like Chris Paul. Yeah. And you better go out there and do your job. Yeah. Um, listen, right now, a player-coach, player-coach relationship. This is something that always is in a constant state of flux. It is evolving. This is what happens with a player and a coach because you're human beings it evolves over time and right now they're in a bad patch they may have gone ahead and actually fixed it they may have sat down and talked about it they may have come to an agreement even at some point um but it's not over the player-coach relationship is never over while you're actually out there competing and this isn't over either uh, when will this rear its head? I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. I do know this right here. Um, I think Monty Williams, for the most part, and James Jones orchestrated all of this because they wanted to see if DeAndre Ayton was going to change. If he was ever going to turn into the guy where he would grab the ball from underneath and instead of finger rolling, would slam it down and, and put the elbows out and dare anyone to go up and try to block his shot. And rip the ball down from the glass and do it with purpose in meeting. They, they just want to see if it's possible. And if it's not possible, he's not, he's not the max guy. In my opinion. See, I, I'm and not. And they'll move him. I'm not saying when they wrong. can. Um, and, and I think that there is a lot to that, right? I mean, you you can trade him after January 15th if you don't think he's the answer to winning you a title. And so at that point, do you care if he's, if he's upset? Then that makes it easier to trade him. I think there's probably something to that. But I also, the... the to me, I think the more the most likely version of this is simply that Monty Williams was like, okay, he got paid. I don't understand why he didn't talk to him in the offseason because he did last offseason. I don't understand it's that. I'm, I'm assuming it was intentional, but I think at a certain point, there probably was some frustration last year. It sounds like the contract did come up during the playoffs, and I'm, I, I feel like at a certain point, if I'm Monty Williams, I'm like, all right, he got paid. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not upset at the guy. That's in the past what happened last year, but I don't need to coddle this guy anymore. I don't need to go out there and be like, oh, I'm so sorry, DA, we had a disagreement. Uh, by the way, here's your check for $10 million this week. Like, you got paid, and... I need to be able to coach you, and I don't need to spend yeah. extra time coaching you. You don't get a special attention anymore is basically the way I, I think Monty Williams is handling this, which is fine. I yeah. mean, that's probably the right way to handle it, honestly. Yeah, no. I, You know, it's just amazing, though. Um, the player-coach relationship will never be over. It'll never be over, especially when you got a guy you're still trying to develop. So when that will rear its head, I don't know. I don't know. They, they came to an understanding. It's great. We're all good. That's what DeAndre Ayton said. Hey, listen, that's, that's some good news. It really is. And now it's all going to be about DeAndre Ayton and watching DeAndre Ayton and how he changes, if at all. 
how he changes how he plays, if at all. Because I think it will have everything to do with whether or not DeAndre Ayton is going to be a son after January 15th. Well, along those lines, this is Greg Anthony yesterday saying if the Suns plan on winning the title, they need DeAndre Ayton to be the difference maker. If the Phoenix Suns want to have any chance to get back to the finals and win that Western Conference, he is the key. Mm-hmm. He will be the catalyst because I think he's the guy. Look at all the young guys. He still has the highest ceiling. You know, this is a young man. Every year he's gotten better. He's a really good screener. He understands how to play out of the pick and roll. He's also a guy that's willing to help. He's improved his mid-range game. He, like, this is play. These are plays where oftentimes they don't always lead to a shot for you, but he understands it's going to create an opportunity to make my team better. And, oh, by the way, he's also a guy that can play out of the post. Not a lot of guys that are traditional centers that have that ability. And I think that's something you're going to see the coaching staff really lean on more and more. As, as Chris Paul starts to get a little longer in the tooth, uh, they're going to need another one of those young guns to take a step. And I don't think there's any doubt he is the most talented young player on their team, much maligned for whatever reason. But I do think that he's a guy that needs to grow the most in order for them to have a chance to compete in the West. It's funny because I like Greg Anthony, but what he just said there at the end, much maligned for whatever reason. And I think he's the guy that needs to grow the most. That second part is the answer to the first part. Correct. That's it's, yes. it's been a couple of years. He's he has all this talent. He is better than than the DA haters think he is. He's a huge part of this team, but there is still room to grow, which is enticing and frustrating depending on the night. Yeah, um, you know I said this before, and we've talked about it for years, literally. Um, but DeAndre, the biggest change the Phoenix Suns could make to their roster especially this offseason, the biggest change would be DeAndre Ayton being somebody that would be willing to dunk the basketball as opposed to finger roll it. Seriously. Didn't somebody write a song about that once? I Yes, of course. Dunk, 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 dunk. But that's when I was freestyling. Oh, okay. Are you going to write any songs this year? You had the Michael Porter Jr. song well, I, last year. You know what? Honestly, yeah, do you want to hear one? Is that what you're I mean, saying? I just, right I, got I, it's almost basketball. Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> nothing wrong with Where dropping did you some get bars. The beat in the back. Dunk, 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 dunk. Boy, I just nailed that too. Yeah, you really hit the post there. We need to get like DJ Wolf, and we need to we need to do like a remote show, and then just have you DJ during the break. So, does that have a you know Maloney? Does that actually have a date on it when I actually laid that down? Does it have that or not? I can find one. Okay, Tiesto stole it from you or something? No, no. Because once again, this is what I wanted to see him do Um, for the longest time: dunk the basketball and do it with intent. Um, understand the power of that and what it also does when you're competing. It matters. This is body language and intent while you compete in any sport matters. It does. How you do things matters. Are you just trying to block somebody or are you trying to drive them into the ground? Are you just trying to bring somebody down, tackle somebody, or are you trying to kill them? Metaphorically speaking, of course. What are you trying to do? Intent matters, especially when you play a physical team sport. 
Like DeAndre Ayton in the May, NBA. May 16th, 2018. So it's been a while. <laughs> well, May 16th. 2018. That's dangerously close to May 15th, 2022, which we never oh. speak of when coming to the Phoenix Suns. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we can't play waiting on Ayton or pay DA this year. Are we going to have to play waiting on Ayton or what did Monty say to DA? That's, that's going to be the new game until we come up with a better one. When we come back, a wild week five in the National Football League is over. And we'll get you caught up on everything rapid fire style next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. on his computer, but whatever. The uh, the top five favorites to win the Super Bowl. Okay? I'm not going to make you guess. I'm just going to read them real quick. Okay, cool. As of uh, today. Number five is Tampa. Number four is San Francisco. These are the favorites in Vegas. Number four is San Francisco. Super Bowl, not like division. Number three is Kansas City. That's wrong. They should be top two. Number two is Philadelphia. Number one is the Bills. Wow. Um, You know, I was high on Philadelphia coming into the season to make the playoffs. If anybody wants to bet me that they're going to win the Super Bowl, I'll take the opposite of that. They're not winning the Super Bowl. Wow. And here's the other crazy thing. I'm looking at the odds from right after the Super Bowl last year. Philadelphia was 40 to 1. The Cardinals were 22 to 1, which I know I have to explain to you because you're not really a betting guy. But the Cardinals were viewed as more of a Super Bowl contender when last year's Super Bowl ended than Philadelphia by Vegas. Okay. Five games apparently flipped everything. Five games. Well, they're rolling right now. They are undefeated. And once again, if you watch them on tape, they look really good. There's not a lot of weaknesses there. They had one can't stop the run, especially when you lower the plow and hit the gas in a north-south fashion. All right, well, there are teams in the NFC that will exploit that in the playoffs. I do I do like Philadelphia. I don't like Philadelphia, but I like Philadelphia this season, but they're not winning the Super Bowl. All right, let's, uh, let's go around the uh, National Football League. We went through some of this earlier, Wolf. Let's, let's keep this going, though, and uh, I think we got to go Lions-Patriots. Detroit came in the highest scoring team in the NFL. Yeah. The uh, the most effective offense in terms of yards per game in the NFL. And Bill Belichick's response with Bailey Zappi as his quarterback was, let's just shut them out and that'll make it easier. Is that not the Bill Belichick you know? Yeah, I can see Bill Belichick getting up in front of the team and just waylaying everybody there. He wasn't going to be yelling, though. That much I will tell you. He just states it in a very factual, kind of in-your-face way. That's what he, he just says things bluntly. Doesn't yell, doesn't raise Here, okay, his voice. Let, let's role play this, okay? You be okay. Belichick because you know him, all right? Yeah. Okay, I'll be um, somebody on, on the Patriots. Hey, uh, Coach, what are we, we going to do against this Detroit team? All they do is score. Yeah. Listen, Dan Campbell is a guy that gets up there and he yells, does a lot of yelling and things of that nature right now. But I can tell you um, that's not going to help him come Sunday because you need players. They don't have players. We have players. They don't. And that's why we're going to win. Could you make a more um, distinct like difference between a coaching matchup than Dan Campbell and Bill Belichick? <laughs> That's a great. That is a great observation by you right there. Yes, different ends of the spectrum. Bill and Dan, and again, it's not like I don't like Dan Campbell. Um, but you can't cry, Dan. I'll just put this out there right now. 
And I know pretty much 97% of the population has their own podcast at this point. And I know Bill Belichick and Dan Campbell are busy right now. <laughs> but if someday when they retire, they want to host a podcast together, yeah. I'm in. And I don't care what you're talking about. You could be talking about drywall. I'm going to listen. <laughs> Bill and Dan, I'm listening to that podcast. Uh, the Vikings got out to a big lead on the Bears, then almost let it slip away, and then found a way to win anyway. 29-22, here is Kirk Cousins of the somehow 4-1 and Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I saw the graphic when it came up, because uh, I'm just sitting there watching the game like 70,000 other people in the stadium when I'm on the sideline. But uh, um, it felt like we had only thrown about eight passes to me when, you know, they had said that. So, um, uh, you know, you just kind of play. You're not really thinking about it. And um, and so um, it, was a, it was a productive day. Great to see the production on third down. I think that's been a place that we want to be better and need to be better to win. And the last two weeks have been better. And so that's been encouraging to see. Yeah, that really is a difference with the Minnesota Vikings right now. I would say is Kirk Cousins playing well. Um, they're protecting him. As a matter of fact, they're in the top ten in sacks per attempt allowed. That's really, really good. Um, Kirk Cousins is not throwing the ball to the other team. Um, that helps. That, and when I say that, too... For Kirk Cousins, they're right in the middle of the pack for the most part, but third down has really improved to his point, and now, of course, they're one of the better teams in the National Football League in that regard, number seven in third down conversions. Here's a, a stat that's going to blow your mind, Wolf, and it's not its not the world's most complicated stat. And I mentioned earlier, I don't get how the Giants are 4-1 and one other than Brian Dable seems to really know what he's doing. Realize the Jets are three and two. Here's Robert Sala after they beat the very beat up Miami Dolphins, forty to seventeen. It's awesome. Obviously, you, you always want to win your division games. Um, double digit wins are hard to come by in this league. Um, forty points, all that, all that good stuff. It was just a, a really good complimentary football game in all three phases. Um, takeaways, offense turning those takeaways into points. Um, defense standing up after the fourth down, uh, where we didn't get it on fourth down defense holding them to a quick uh, three and out and a punt. So I, ju- I just thought as a, again, no flinch, you know, all three phases did such a great job and, uh, you know, hopefully it's the first of many. You know what I love about Robert Sala is this is a guy that's going to challenge his players. He's going to take receipts too. He's going to take receipts and metaphorically speaking. He's not literally going to take Oh, he didn't say metaphorically speaking when he said it. He just said I'm taking receipts. This is a guy that challenges his players. And from what I'm told, FaceTime is something that happens often. Okay, so you're going to look another man in the face and you're going to tell him the truth. And he's either going to accept that truth and do something about it. Or he's going to be gone. That supposedly is what Robert Sell is all about. I thought when you said FaceTime, you meant he was calling people on FaceTime and being like, <laughs> hey, we haven't spoken over FaceTime in a while. And players are like, ah, coach is FaceTiming again. He doesn't know and what he's as, doing. As far as the New York Giants go, since we've actually talked about the New York Giants and Brian Dayball, um, number two and number four, rushing yards per game and rushing yards per play. Hmm. Are you saying that's important to have success? Especially and I tell you, you right now, that's elite in the National Football League. 
and that's why they're four and one. I did ask a friend of mine yesterday. You know, the Jets are three and two, and it's a friend that hates the Jets. And and he was quick to point out, yes, they are three and two, but they have beaten Jacoby Brissett, Mitch Trubisky, and Skylar Thompson. Yeah. So let's just <laughs> calm right. down a little bit about the Still, Jets. Robert no. Sala and FaceTime. That's true. Robert Sala knows how to use FaceTime now, so he's unstoppable. Uh, the Titans are quietly moving back to the top of that division. They beat the Commanders 21-17. Here's Mike Vrabel on his team under the radar winning three straight. Well, I think it's just... You know, we, we, we we took it uh, pretty good against Buffalo on a Monday night, came back on a short week, and you know, we found a way to win three games in a row. Uh, so I think that this bye week is going to be a great opportunity for us to catch our breath and uh, get some guys healthy. we got some guys that play a lot of football for us um, just because they have to, and uh, you know, we need to take care of them. Yeah, I'm assuming he's thinking of Derrick Henry when he says that, Wolf. After after Henry got hurt last year when he was on pace to shatter the all-time running back touches mark, this is what he has done in the last three games. 20 carries, 85 yards, touchdown. Five more catches for 58 yards, okay? That was against the Raiders, yeah. win number one. Against the Colts last week, 22 carries, 114 yards, touchdown. Three catches, 33 more yards. And then against Washington, 28 carries, 102 yards, two touchdowns, two more catches for 30 yards. I thought King Henry was dead. Uh, he apparently is resurrected. Yes, apparently. This guy, honestly, right now... Um the Tennessee Titans offense is struggling. It has been struggling all season long right now. He covers a lot of that up. But they got to get that guy, that guy in particular, going. Because right now they're number 20 and 28, respectively, in rushing yards per game and rushing yards per play. They're not doing well enough because the Titans, that's who they are. That's their identity. And if they lose that, they're going to be an also run. And I want to throw this out there real quick before the break, too. What is going on with the Rams? A 22-10 loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Wolf, if the Cardinals could have finished a couple drives a couple weeks ago, you realize the Rams would be 1-4 and four right now? And they haven't looked good, I would argue, in any of their games. They got blown out by Buffalo in Week 1. They ha- they were handling Atlanta and then almost lost to Atlanta. They ended up winning that game 31-27. I believe it was a Jalen Ramsey interception at the end to kind of seal it off. Beat the Cardinals 20-12, to but as we can all attest, the Cardinals were moving the ball. They just weren't finishing the drives. Lost to the Niners 24-9. Lost to the Cowboys 22-10. Their offense is missing something. Complacency is a horrible master. They're going to miss the playoffs if they stay this complacent. Honestly, everyone wondered about that. And it's one of the reasons why we haven't seen a team since the early 2000s repeat as Super Bowl champion. Now we do get to see Sean McVay renew his rivalry with Steve Wilkes this week as it's uh, Panthers at Rams. So maybe, maybe the Rams get back on track. Hopefully they don't. Hopefully Carolina just goes in there, takes another win from them. All right, uh, when we come back, are the Cardinals relying too much on the thought of DeAndre Hopkins coming back and then just saving the offense? We'll discuss that next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.